Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Thursday night, December 1st, uno de diciembre. We made it all the way to month 12. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, pal? The Baltimore County in your voice when you just said uno de diciembre was unbelievable. So oh, yeah, I'm baby. Doing well. Made it all the way to the end of a fucking year. Got to go shopping down at the... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I could have said a number of things there. East Point Mall. Yeah, I decided not to discriminate. Um, uh, everyone has great shopping malls, and it's all great. It's uh, true. How's it going? It's going well. I've uh, had a nice little three-week, five-week, seven-month sickness that just stretches out, and I've been yugging emergency, and I feel like I, for the first time in a long time, can breathe through my nose, don't sound like a nasally Ned, and I'm excited, man. I'm excited. We have our live stream this Sunday at Pickett Brewing, South Packer Street. You can check the flyer on my Twitter, the exact street. I'm going to say 1130. Let's see here. It is 1130 South Packer Street. 10 to noon, me, Jake, Bobby, Kevin, Cole, all your favorite Ravens content makers are having a little live stream. It's going to be on Bobby's channel, actually. Just worked out logistically for everyone. He typically does a pregame live stream anyway, but wanted to do a little meet and greet. Cole is flying down on the puddliest of puddle jumpers, humanly possible, driving across the border, and some, I don't know if he's going to make jet. it here. There's some Learjet vibes with that thing. I'm, I'm a little worried for his safety. It's uh, it's not looking good for Cole Boy, but it just it just fits fits the the old Canadian A aesthetic or uh, what Cole, whatever the hell Cole is doing. I don't I don't know, man. Flying in on the dinkiest little plane I've ever seen. Gonna go pick him up on Saturday at noon. Gonna get him from BWI for first time meeting the boy in person. We spent I don't know a hundred hours chit chatting on, on video and probably exchanged fifteen thousand little e emails, e messages, love love notes. Over the last two, three years here, so fired up about that. Can have ourselves a nice little Saturday, and then excited to meet a bunch of listeners and other folks. 
Saturday going to be quite the day. We got the U.S. taking on Holland at 9 a.m. We do, and I'm fired up for that one as well. Just loaded to the gills with sports right now. Yeah, I love that. It's a great time for the sports year. You might not think so if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, uh, or at least some Baltimore Ravens fans who uh, are in a perpetual state of uh, just complete and utter despondency with this team a little bit, uh, depression with this team a little bit, uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, I think that's the best way to put it. People are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, you know, and uh, more than anything, I think I just kind of feel for people that feel this way. Like, you know, I, I can't totally discount everything that they're saying, but I think the delivery, maybe it's just a little, it's a little laying it on thick for me sometimes. And uh, I don't know, guys, like uh, my just my overall feeling right now, if I can climb up onto my soapbox is you're dealing with a seven and four football team. Feels like every time there's a loss, Yes, the sky is falling. Yes, we have to come out and make all these declarative statements about who needs to be fired, this, that, and the other. And, you know, a lot of it, or at least some of it, is probably rooted in some truth. But I would say maybe let's just ratchet it down from 11 to, like, maybe, like, 7. My apologies there. was going to follow you up in your eloquent point with future friend of the show. We've we've really wanted to have RG3 on for quite some time. we got to make that happen. That's I don't know what it is. I just... I love him. I love his personality. I always have and would love to have him on the show. We're looking for you, RG. It's good to have it's good to have a Ravens friendly hitter in the media, and he certainly is. I think he has a high opinion of the organization, rightfully so. But uh, yeah, go ahead and take it away. I thought what he had to say was very good. He summarized it well. Here we go. Better in the red zone. Yeah. Right? Three yes. field goals to start off the game. They should have had three touchdowns. But why do we only talk about the Baltimore Ravens when they lose? They were on a four-game winning streak coming into this okay. week. True. Okay. So, yes, when you True. look at them in a vacuum, you could say, oh, the Baltimore Ravens, what's going on? What's going on? They just won four straight. Okay. They just won four straight, and the Jacksonville Jaguars played the game of their lives. Yes, the Ravens could have been better in crucial situations, but let's not act like this isn't a good football team and say, oh, they can't get it done because these fourth-quarter losses are bad. Marlon Humphrey, I call, we call him all-pro Marlowe. Yeah. He tweeted out, he said, bad defense yeah. leads to losses. After the game. And that's the truth. It was bad defense by their secondary that led to that loss. They poured way too much money into that secondary to allow Zay Jones, who is a good receiver, to go off for 11 catches, 145 yards in that game. All those things can be true, but we can't ignore the Ravens when they win and only talk about them when they lose. Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence, he played the best game of his yeah. career. It's the, rush was it. guys. the rush was getting it. They were not covering very well. That's what all pro Marlowe was talking about in that tweet. He's yeah. not saying that, hey, the rush isn't getting there. He's saying, we ain't covering. Oh, the Bills are good football team. So with that, I think he summarized it well, and I, I just don't think – it's what's been endearing about this team for for beyond the Lamar Jackson years and dating back as long as I can remember. The media and like you said, Jake, there's always the there's or excuse me, there's rarely a friend of the Ravens in the media. Trent Dilfer hated the Ravens, was a Raven. Um, Ray Lewis, you know, is, he's never been like full fledged. He's, he's never like been he media. he comes at it from the angle of like it was better back in my day, which I can understand. Yes. But he, you can definitely tell there's kind of like a patronizing aspect with him sometimes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so having RG three is is a nice little Hershey's kiss of a a little treat that Ravens fans do get. But I think it's what's endearing about being a part of the Ravens fan base and and following this organization through the years is that. Every time they lose, it's always an indictment of what they can't do. And whenever they win, the best they really get narrative-wise is, are, are the Ravens for real? Yeah. This team might be pretty good. 
that's the best they'll get. That's absolutely the best they'll get. So, you do occasionally get like people, I think, like the idea of like backing a quote unquote dark horse. So you'll get like a Brandon Marshall a couple weeks ago saying like, this is the best Baltimore Ravens team I've ever seen with Ray Lewis sitting right there. And it's like, all right, well, I appreciate it, but maybe let's not go too far in the other direction here. But yeah, no, it definitely, it does feel like more often than not, it's kind of like they're just expected to take care of business in the regular season. And when they don't, then it's fucking, I, I don't know what, it turns into this apocalyptic thing. And then, you know, more often than not, you're going to lose in the playoffs. I mean, that happens to 31 teams every single year. They've happened to be one of them for the past nine or so. And uh, yeah, it's happened in bad ways and I totally get it. And I get, again, having your concerns about the playoffs, but like if your concern is overall approach and like it's not going to get it done in the playoffs, that's fine. But like, don't sit there and say that when they win, don't be like, oh, okay, well, I only really care about the playoffs. That's what I'm waiting for. And then when they lose, come out and say, oh, well, this is just an overall indictment of everything that I've been saying and X, Y, Z, this, that, and the other. It's just, I don't know. It just feels a little like, I don't know what it feels like, but it doesn't feel good. It's fickle. It's a little entitled in my opinion. And I think there's, there's always been an overtone of that, but again, not here to police fans, but would be nice to see the city kind of rally around the team or at least the digital city, I suppose. I think we're here, to, sit, we're here to be safe fans. We're wearing the, the red jackets and we're directing people to the exit. You know, we're safe. S-A-F-E. We certainly are. And I think that speaking of safe, the Ravens have a little danger coming to town. Ooh, dangerous. Wilson. Wow. Can't wait. I can't wait, man. I love that, that guy. I love the fact that there's these rumors that like teammates can't even text him. You have to text his manager. I love that like people are pretending like him having a birthday party and only half the team coming is like Shout some sort of day. episode of South Park. South Park should have like he would be such a good South Park. Who was the guy in uh, who was the guy in draft at Bo Callahan? Was that the quarterback that the teammates didn't show up for the, the birthday party? Yep. Yeah, so it's that. I mean, it's it's just everything with Mr. Mr. Fucking Unlimited, who's just been turned more and more into a cartoon character of himself. I was a big, big, big fan of his uh, in the 2012 draft. Um, I don't know. I didn't really have him super on my radar coming out of Wisconsin. I mean, he obviously went in the third round for a reason, but I wasn't like as big of a draft guy back then. And then he started playing really well for the Seahawks, and it just kind of felt like the Seahawks were sort of that Ravens-type team. I think they... Uh, the 49ers, I always felt like were, were a little overhyped in those days, so I would always kind of root for the Seahawks, and I thought Russ was like a really, really underrated uh, piece of those teams. Um, but yeah, really kind he of. He was a fun player when he was young. He was, yeah. He was really, really good. Like, I thought underrated. Like, I thought he was Hall of Fame track. He might still get in. Um, but yeah, he was, he was an awesome quarterback there for a while. And uh, yeah, it seems like he's kind of, he's always kind of had that. Uh, kind of lights are on but nobody's home vibe going on a little bit uh to some extent but he's really started to kind of buy into his own bs uh the last couple of years and the marrying ciara and all that kind of stuff I, I don't think he's a bad guy uh to certain points that i've seen but he certainly there's maybe a little bit of disingenuity and kind of i can understand where like guys like mike purcell are kind of like freaking out at him on the sideline a little bit and letting their frustration show because this has been a you want to talk about disappointing teams? You want to talk about having all the pieces and not even being able to get it done in the regular season, which can happen? Look at this train wreck of a team right now. They most certainly are, and they're coming to Baltimore without Jerry Judy in all likelihood, without K.J. Handler in all likelihood. They cut Melvin Gordon. They don't have Javante Williams. They just lack any sort of panache. They lack any sort of pizzazz offensively. I mean, Latavius Murray, 
God bless his soul, the zombie shark himself coming back to Baltimore. He's their lead back at this point, and they don't have Bradley Chubb. They got rid of Bradley Chubb. They really just kind of have like Pat Sertan, and there's no other sort of flash or essence or persona or persona around this team. It was supposed to be Russell Wilson and Broncos country. I mean, I want to ride with you, but I, I was fired up. I was excited for him to go there, but just I feel like that finger injury, got that mallet finger last year, and Rodgers dealing with a thumb injury. They're on some sort of weird polar opposite, but it's like the circle meets around the bottom and the, again at the end trajectory of like what their what the narrative around them is, what their story is, what the team around them is, and things of that nature. Aaron obviously stays, Russell goes, the Seahawks picking up without him, all of those things. So I just find it really interesting. I've always found Russell Wilson to be a very interesting, interesting just human being in this league, in this sport. And it continues to get a little bit weirder as time goes on. Yeah, it does. It um, it kind of it feels a little Rogersy uh, to your point there. Um, maybe a little bit kind of a he's kind of like the commercial version to whatever the hell Aaron Rodgers is doing, where uh, he's kind of the big pitch man, Russell Wilson. You know, he's selling things all the time. Uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting cat for sure. And uh, this team is in a weird spot, man. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett was hired to ostensibly get the best out of Wilson. He was really hired because the Broncos thought they were going to get Rodgers, and they didn't. And so he kind of had to make the best of the situation there. Uh, and Hackett, despite the fact that he seems like a, a good guy, and I'm sure he's like good at certain elements of what it takes to be an offensive coach, uh, doesn't really seem totally like head coach material. But, I mean, I, we'll get into it when we get to the minutia, but their defense actually playing pretty well this year to some of the guys that you've mentioned. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be – I don't think I don't think it's going to be like downhill sledding for the Ravens in this game necessarily. Yeah, it's a weird, weird dynamic. And it's just, again, it feels like the Panthers, you're playing a team that has, like, where's their breaking point? And it's at home again. And they're in that same kind of boat where they just don't feel really dangerous at all offensively, pun intended, I guess. But I don't even mean to say that. But anyway, feels like they just are discombobulated constantly. Their pass game discombobulated. Their run game is very vanilla. Um, there was a report that Russ Wilson is checking into audibles that were in Seattle and no one knows what the hell he's talking about. And it's, it's just like, as if, I don't know, it's like you hear these stories about a Tesla that people are trying to like break out of the auto steering and then it just presses on the accelerator and there's nothing you can do to stop the car. And it goes 150 miles an hour. Like it feels like his wiring is off His what his wiring is starting to show and uh, needs to, I don't know, go, go into a cryo chamber for a couple days or something and reset his hard drive. Yeah, just drink a bunch of nano bubbles and eat the, the Subway sandwich and see what that does for you. Maybe just kind of reboot the, the rust spot there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to be straight up, like I watched maybe the first couple primetime games they were in. And from there, I just kind of had no interest. They get a lot of these late windows because of where they are in the country. And it'll come on and they'll be like just fucking fighting it, you know, just whipping the horse against like the Titans or something in like the 17-13 game. And they're like driving and it just looks like the most like painstaking thing to like gain eight yards for them sometimes. And like I know people complain a lot about the Ravens offense. We're going to get into that. They look like that at times, but it feels to me like everything with this Broncos offense just looks difficult right now. And I think they're... Their DVOA is uh, kind of something to show for that, I think, where they're uh, – let me yeah, – I'm on defense here. Uh, their offensive DVOA, I noticed earlier in the day, 27th in the passing game, 26th in the rushing game. So they're 
equally uh, not efficient. Yeah, they're not. And when you kind of dig a little deeper into their pass game specifically, about 30% of their passes go 10 yards, which is not a high figure at all. A lot of short game, a lot of behind the line of scrimmage. They have thrown as many passes behind the line of scrimmage as they have past the first down marker, so to speak, in terms of uh, 10 to 19 yards at intermediate range. So trying to get the ball out of his hand very quickly. And that's just not the quarterback he ever it was or is. And it feels like there was all these narratives coming out of Seattle of what he wanted the offense to be versus what uh, Pete Carroll wanted the offense to be and what the offensive coordinator and all of these things and hearing things about how he refused to wear a wristband and it's made it easier on the offense that Geno Smith makes the whole relaying of plays a little bit easier. So uh, there's just this grand irony going on and it really does look like a facade, but their pass game is, I, I don't even know how to describe it necessarily. It is peculiar to watch. It's kind of West coast concepts mixed into some spread. They go under center and try and hit some really basic stuff. It's just like a mod podge of all of like the Madden 2005 plays is I guess the best way to put it. Like it feels like they're just doing offensive plays. Yeah. There's no cohesion or they just seem very discombobulated whenever I watch them to that point. And yeah, I mean, I think like it would be fine if, you hadn't had Russ having dealt with like high ankle sprains and stuff the last couple of years. And he could do some of that creation that he used to be able to do. But even that kind of looks sapped from he's a also little... getting older. I mean, he's yeah. 34 at this point. Yeah. That is. I feel like is where quarterbacks really 32, 33. You're really starting to lose a step as a quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And like that, even like his arm, like the ball used to just explode off of his like hand, like even three, four years ago. And now it just kind of looks like, not as live, not as not as explosive, and he's just like not the not the athlete that he used to be. And yeah, we got two deuce here with the the let Russ cook season tricked people, and like yeah, that's one hundred percent true. And I think people were twenty nineteen. Maybe- he he was the MVP leader halfway through Lamar's MVP season. He was absolutely dynamic, and they meet in that path, and the Ravens kind of steamroll him, and wasn't the same after. Yeah, exactly, and it just kind of uh, it's interesting how that worked out for sure. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. You can you can really sell yourself on the idea of a player more than you can the player itself when it comes to the NFL. I think Thomas Dimitrov once said that uh, when you can't find your when you haven't found your franchise quarterback yet, the search for one consumes you. And uh, whoever's even running the Broncos right now and made that decision, I guess George Payton along with John Elway uh, to go ahead and make that trade. I, I totally get why they did it. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like it's it did. There's that's a, it's just the weirdest thing the way the entire situation has gone right. It didn't seem like it was a move that was poor in any way, shape, or form. I don't think any Broncos fan was upset at that trade. No, we had them. Uh, we both had them going in, into the playoffs here, along with uh, I think two other. Um, I think I had them nine and eight somewhere around there. Yeah, I probably had them like ten and seven, uh, maybe even even better than that. Because uh, like I said, man, they have all the pieces on this roster, every single one, and. Uh, that's kind of where I get maybe a little frustrated with this idea that you should just take regular season wins for granted and like all this kind of stuff. Like shit can go awry really quickly if even one of these pieces falls out of place. And sometimes not even then. Sometimes shit can just really go wrong. And uh, it's easy to take like the that kind of stuff for granted, like I keep saying. But, you know, maybe look at this as an example of why uh, the other side of things can maybe not always work out. Um, can work out sometimes, but not in this case. So uh, I guess we can kind of get into the game proper here, and I kind of I do want to start with the Ravens' offense because uh, a little bit of news came out this week that uh, 
was very interesting that Greg Roman, uh, after David Shaw was let go by Stanford, or maybe it was one of the mutual parting of ways situation, he had been there a long time. Um, he left Stanford, which uh, Greg Roman has ties to, going back to when he was there with uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, with uh, Andrew Luck, and he might have even been there before all that. Um, they have preliminarily preliminarily reached out to him, showing interest to take over the head coaching position. I haven't seen, there might be like, I'm not following Stanford beat reporters. I don't know if there's anyone else that has been mentioned in this conversation, but he's the only name that I've seen thus far. And uh, Ravens Twitter, I think ourselves included uh, kind of went, went a little nuts with this. Most certainly did. And at this point we've been saying on this podcast since probably July, it's time, it's time to part ways. It's just, you know, I, I, Greg Roman's probably in my opinion, the second best offensive coordinator the Ravens have ever had. Regardless, it's time to advance. And the news of Stanford aside a little bit, I kind of went down the wormhole today and just tried to look through different lenses and go through, okay, let's look at alignments. Let's look at personnel. Let's look at concepts. Let's look at pace. Let's look at each different aspect. And I've been doing the money downs thing for a couple of weeks now, and it's been a fun little series for me and kind of really helps me hyper-focus my film study relative to getting some, some content out. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, well, the Ravens have consistently, at this point, the Ravens are 11 games in. We know who they are. They can still make late-season tweaks. For instance, the Bills last year added a gap run scheme a little bit towards the end of the season. That really helped them in the playoffs. They don't end up being able to kind of muffle the Chiefs in uh, postseason, whatever. But so I'm like, all right, who's at the top? Who, who's leading the league, and who has a mobile quarterback that they use? I figured one of those teams – the Cardinals, the Eagles, you know, Josh Allen, whatever. One of the mobile quarterbacks would probably be efficient. Lo and behold, the Eagles, who there are so many parallels between the organizations, the teams, the way they structure themselves, the cities, all that stuff. So it's like, all right, let me go watch the last like two games of the Eagles in the red zone. What do they do? I posted it all on Twitter. This is probably isn't a shocker, but essentially they're just operating with the basic principles of, of common sense relative to space. When you get into the red zone, the Ravens are 24th. I think they've converted 24 of their 43 opportunities over the last two weeks. They're three of nine. And that's against a Jaguars defense and a Panthers defense that you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, completely shit on them. And it is ironic because they kind of have nothing to lose. So that does make, that always makes one team or two teams over the course of a season. You're like, They've got nothing to lose. They're out of it. They're just trying to prove themselves, you know, interim head coach, whatever. But for, t- for it to happen twice is a little dis- a little concerning ultimately. And it just kind of was like, all right, well, the Eagles love to spread the field wide, and then they run downhill. Where's the space when you spread the field wide? It's over the middle of the field. You're extending the defense laterally. What do the Ravens do most of the time? Tighten things up. And in 2019, the Ravens really had two approaches, and everyone keeps bringing up when I was – Kind of making these points, 2019, 2019. What were they doing in 2019? Well, they ran a lot of empty. They were the best empty team probably in the last 10 years of football. The the Bengals last year, them and the Bengals are 1-1A. 2021 Bengals, 2019 Ravens. And empty got adjusted to a lot of the time around the league or in most instances, we've seen the Ravens struggle against it, all those kinds of things. So the Ravens are condensing everything and then trying to do the same thing the Eagles are doing. They're trying to attack the middle of the field while reducing it. And when you're in the red zone, you've got the back line there. You've got safeties that don't need to worry about getting beaten over top. The cornerbacks are involved a little bit. And they just so rarely do the thing that the Eagles do, attack the space. When you're in these tight alignments, more often than not, you want to be attacking the 
perimeter. You want to be attacking the flat. You want to be running mesh where people are running through the middle to the outside. Run the it's little gonna, like uh, run the little Patriot pick plays like and just spring a guy basically like just it's, like, it's tough against zone to do those exact kind of things. But sure, you know, if you isolate some some DBs, you, you can do those kinds of things. But ultimately, it's like, where is the space? Why are you never going to space? And it's like, why does Lamar Jackson never get rushing touchdowns? Because you invite everyone to the middle of the field and then attack the middle of the field. So he needs to be throwing the ball to the outside, essentially, at this point in time. So um, they were more successful in 2019. It felt like, and people speak in hyperbole, oh, they caught the league by surprise. It was all a gimmick, all of those kinds of things. I don't think that's the case. But we also saw them adjust into 2020 and 2021. J.K. Dobbins had several touchdowns running the bash concept where he's getting the ball, just put the ball in his hands, running laterally when you file everyone over the middle of the field and you're able to make some haste and they just aren't doing those things. Basically they keep throwing the ball in the red zone over the middle of the field after inviting everyone to the middle of the field. And it's like the play might as well be called Mark Andrews, go find a soft spot on two. And that's what they keep trying to do. It's where Lamar's eyes go. It's everything that they're trying to do. And they always are, especially on third down too. And it's like doing the most obvious thing humanly possible. So there's really just two answers either attack the flats in the perimeter or do what the Eagles do, go a little bit wider. We saw them do that in the second half against the Jaguars. They have a couple really nice quarterback runs on some veer concepts. They get Devin Duvernay the ball in a sweep to the outside. They run some RPOs, things of that nature. And, ooh, oh, my God, suddenly everything's working. And we factor in all the stuff that's gone on with Greg Roman getting interviewed today as well. This is kind of went about the Stanford conversation. But ultimately, um, he's had a ton of criticism this week for getting plays in too late. And he says, you know, there's technical difficulties, which is my fault. Ultimately, I should have been more on top of it. And it's like, what channel are we using or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's going to think that's a lie. But I honestly don't even think it's a lie. I think it is worse. That's like worse. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, hey, we're like probably one of the top 20 most valuable organizations in sports, right? We're smart guys. No, no matter what anyone thinks, we're smart guys. We can sit down in a room and figure this kind of shit out, right? Like, that's the kind of shit that just... That's like a, that's something the Browns like 10 years ago, there would be like some story on fucking outkick or whatever talking about that. And people are like, oh, the fucking Browns again. Like, it's just it's that kind of thing. And like, it's not that serious, but it's just it's it's those little things like take the fucking layups, dude. Like, take the layup, drive into the lane and just fucking bang them home. It's not that hard. It's like and to your your conversation about shrinking the field like. It feels like they're using a battering ram on a vault door when there are glass windows to the left and right of it. It's like, what are we doing here, guys? If we got to get in, maybe let's try the other way. I don't know. I'm just a little frustrated. Little frustrated. I'm I'm frustrated as well. And with all of the criticism about it and what Roman's comments were, that essentially the run game wasn't working early in the year, so they got the run game going. Then they were having trouble on the fringe outside. They're having trouble getting into the scoring area. So they got better at that. And when you go look at their per drive metrics, yards per drive, percentage of drives that end in a score, all of it, they have no trouble getting into the red zone. And I'm honestly completely fine. And people do want to see Lamar in a more spread offense. That's been a common, you know, what, what concepts, do you, concepts do you want spread? It's like, uh, that's not what that means necessarily, whatever. Anyway, when you're in these condensed formations, it honestly plays to the strengths of Lamar in, in many ways because you're able to run high-low concepts. There's depth to the field. The safeties have to make decisions. Linebackers have to make decisions. It opens up the middle of the field in that way. When you're against the goal line, there's none of that. So it really is just failing to recognize such a fundamental element of 
how to operate in the red zone. Attack the space. If, if the Jaguars are going to invite themselves into the middle when you go into the middle, then either call plays that float outside and pull them apart or spread out and make them spread out. It, it just really is that simple in my eyes. Um, and if they don't do that and if they don't fix their four year, their half-decade shit fest, absolute trudging through the mud pre-snap, then it's just the same thing. So when fans say they're waiting on the other shoe to fall, those are the two things offensively that when you don't have the number one receiver that everyone wants in the whole wide world, it like doesn't even matter. If you have a number one receiver, you're still doing stupid shit. Like It doesn't matter about the players in that sense. So ultimately, I don't know that they're going to get it fixed. I don't trust them to get it fixed. I think that they're a good team. They're good enough. They, you know have players coming back from injury, whatever. I think the running back situation has also been such an under-the-radar mess for two years now. And it's I, I don't know what they can do differently. They brought in Kenyon Drake, who's like about as unimposing, the least imposing back you can bring in where it's like, oh, you're, if you're J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, you're like, oh, shit, you know, they brought in this back. He's going to take my reps. I'm pissed. It's like, that's not Kenyon Drake. You're like, he's a pro. He's got kind of he's got a little name behind him. He went to Bama. He's had some nice seasons, but it's like, oh, cool, Kenyon Drake's here. It's not like, oh, they brought in Kareem Hunt or something. So I think they handled it about as well as they can. It's just like Gus Edwards is still slow. He's not as explosive as he was before his ACL. He's doing fine. He's still a good power runner in that sense, but he can't operate in the pass game. You don't trust him in pass pro. He has no chemistry with Lamar. He doesn't trust himself in the pass game, probably. It took years to develop him into being competent in the past game right before his injury in 2020 he finally started to look competent as a pass down back that's out the window jk dobbins comes in you're like all right we got the explosive one the balanced one he's he's thunder and lightning he work in the past game you split him out wide we're doing all this shit in training camp then he's on injured reserve you finally get Kenyon drake going and then gus edwards comes back and then gus edwards gets 16 carries and Kenyon drake gets two carries drops a pass and whatever the hell else is going on so it's just this whirling dervish of what do you do? And in my opinion, it's roll with Kenyon Drake until both Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins are like fine until they feel fine. Until Get Gus they're Edwards literally seven like carries a game until they're like like, ch- like absolutely champing at the bit, just like saying like, all right, we're good, we're good. What are we doing? Like, do the thing where fans get frustrated because they should be out there and they're not. Like, do that because when the, when you did that with J.K. in his rookie year, worked out pretty fucking well. Exactly, and J.K. is kind of sick of that stuff. He probably is to a degree. He has every right to be. I mean, he has every right to be. He is probably thinking about his second contract at this point, which he damn well should be. Uh, and it's it's not looking great right now for him. So I, I totally get it. But I mean, sit him down and say, hey, here's what we're doing. This is going to set you up for long term success. You want to do well next year. You want to earn a contract beyond that. Like this is probably going to be the smartest way for you to go because you can go out there and try to like just go fucking full steam ahead. Andrew Sandejo, JK and uh, maybe get hurt again, or we can like play this smart. I, uh, I mean, he got a cleanup procedure. He should, in that sense, you know, he should be good. It should be fuller range of motion, all that stuff. So when he's ready to go, ready to go, he's ready to go. But it just feels like right now in this game and the next game, maybe lean on Kenyon Drake, who is starting to be like a touchdown scorer for you and an explosive playmaker for you just a little bit. And, and you kind of just reduce that and get it cold again. So, um, 
And it's just, I, I don't know. I think that's a big contribution to it. And when you look at the teams that Greg Roman has had that have been successful, Mark Ingram, it's, you know, Dobbins and Edwards, or it's Frank Gore, or um, shit, I don't even remember who was running, but LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo, I guess. I think it was Shady in, in Buffalo. Yeah. So there you go. Like he had a guy, he had someone that he could rely on that was capable of executing in these situations. And that is also contributing, it feels like, to the pre snap issues. Which back do I use? Which back has been in? Which back do I need in this situation? And it's just like another layer of bullshit of, of this entire offense. And I think, and, and to be the Greg Roman apologist that I am so often called, you can be as mad, as mad at him as you want, and you can be upset in the red zone like I am, but they haven't given him shit to work with at the end of the day as well. I mean, he's got Mark Andrews, he's got the tight ends, and it feels like, you know, budget, it feels like budget cuts were happening at the company ahead of the new fiscal year. And they came in and they put all their ducks in a row. We need to spend more on manufacturing our defense. And then you come to the offense and you're like, we got budget cuts. Can you make do with that? And he's probably like, hell yeah, I can. I've got a great run game. All those things. But it's like, that was the EDC aspect of it. And then when you have Marcus Williams out and Kyle Hamilton out and Ronnie Stanley out and all these fucking guys out again, then I don't know. You get a Jacksonville Jaguars fucking smorgasbord of suck. On, on all aspects and and even a guy it's just it's just crazy that game's in the past at this point but against this broncos team i mean you have to just be decisive you have to cut a little bit of the fat out you need to roll with slightly less substitutions and slightly less players getting a little bit more reps let somebody rock and roll like they're not letting a back rock and roll they're not you know isaiah likely's in and out josh oliver's in and out duvernay's in well duvernay and robinson have gotten their reps you know Prochet is like 20 reps it's just like Rock and roll with something against this shitty team. Yeah, I mean, like it, and like the defensive efficiency stuff. Like it, it does scare me a little bit. But it's like this team has nothing to play for. They are demoralized as shit. Like you, you want to talk about a thousand yard stare. Like you look at some of these guys. You look at all the negativity coming out of there. You got a home game at one p.m. This is Baltimore Ravens Central against a bad team. Go out there and you. It's you know. I, it's just like if you want to if you want to make the playoffs, you got to start winning these games. And I mean, like I'm totally fine with where they're at being seven and four and losing to a Jaguars team that played the game of their life, like RG three said. But you can't let too many of those slip away. And this is certainly one that you can't. Uh, and if there's a week to figure it out on offense, where yeah, they've been winning, but it hasn't looked pretty on offense the last couple of weeks. This is a good spot to turn it around, I think. It, it most certainly is, and again, the Broncos are traveling. It's not a West Coast to East Coast, but it is two time zone, 1 p.m. kickoff, and the frustration, you know, it's been there. It's been gone. The Ravens are coming on the, the grand irony, just like RG3 said. They're coming off the longest win streak in the NFL entering this past week, so um, I don't know. It almost feels like uh, I'll just believe it when I see it at this point. We've been waiting for them to drop that 40-burger or that 35 burger or something like that. We're 30 for, for months. And, and yeah, even if you go put up 30, whatever it is. So the offensive side of the football in terms of what this Broncos team does, um, it, it's very disciplined football. It's playing in the same kind of structures that they played in last year. They have a dominant cornerback. They have disciplined linebackers. You know, it's, it's nothing that the Ravens haven't seen, but their front is a little thinner than it was. And it's just, it's just time to, commit to something in that sense offensively. So um, pre-snap communication at your own place should be simple. And being able to stick to something should be simple. So can they do the simple things 
in this game and get themselves right. It's December now. It is uno de, de December. So Umer always said time. the season doesn't start until Thanksgiving. So the season has started. Now it's time to figure it out. It, uh, it, it, it is time to figure it out, especially on the offensive side of the football. On the defensive side of the football, you're dealing with, like we said, one of the most dysfunctional units possible. Um, can you cook? I mean, they've got Quinn Miners and Garrett Bowles are kind of, I guess, they're shining stars of their offense. And Russ Wilson, like we said, it's going to be quick game. Can you jump it? Can you prevent him from getting any sort of rhythm going on at all in any way, shape, or form? And can you get pressure on him? When he's under pressure, he has... 43% completion percentage, according to PFF. He has six big-time throws and six turnover-worthy plays. That one-to-one -one is absolutely terrible. He likes to push the ball down the field when he gets pressured. Uh, he is averaging 13.5 average distance of target when he's pressured. When he's blitzed, it's 10. Um, he has not faced a ton of blitz. He's been blitzed 22% of the time this year, so teams are opting to cover a little bit more and make him go dissect them. And... Keep keep that same rhythm. Keep that same energy. Just just play a calm game. Let him make mistakes. Let him come to you. Mike McDonald talking about execution, talking about what happened on third down in that final drive, all of those things. Just let this game come to you in that sense. Execute your assignment with full effort. Don't act like you've won the game at any given point. And I don't know, should be able to, to go make some haste. The, the Broncos like to, again, go under center. They like to mix it up in that sense. And... I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. If they score twenty points, it'll be a shock. They haven't done that twice this season. Yeah, and it's I think it'll be an angry kind of, kind of fired up crowd um, that is going to want to want to put some punishment on an opponent after what happened last week. And I mean Russell Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. I mean you're talking about two very different spots in their career, but I think Lawrence kind of found something there, and he really. Uh, Maybe you could take that game as a springboard for a career, whereas it feels like uh, Russell Wilson is kind of in that Rick Dalton territory right now. He's really trying to trying to find it again. And uh, we shall see if he's able to uh, against this defense. I mean, I'll be curious to see what Kyle Hamilton is going to look like because it sounded like he was in some pain when he got hurt in that Panthers game. He is going to be coming back. I mean, that's, I think, going to be big. Like, you couldn't really understate the loss of him there, I think, because I don't think he would have been, like, necessarily man-matching against, like, Jamichael Hasty or some of these, like, Zay Jones or some of these guys. But uh, with the, that slot role that he was kind of playing, I think it might have at least helped to eliminate them in some respect uh, by freeing it, up it, other it guys. Definitely, it definitely would have. You have a bigger, more confident, athletic presence than a Pepe Williams. And to me, the biggest magnifying glass is you then kick Marlon Humphrey inside, you're not kind of erasing that outside factor. You can dedicate resources to the slot. And the Jaguars went and feasted from the 20 to the hash kind of in that like middle out range, hashtag Silicon Valley middle out. But uh, Hamilton's huge and Marcus Williams is huge. And Chuck Clark isn't playing good football in the usage that he has. They're asking him to go be this kind of traditional split high safety. And he's always been better as a dime linebacker and kind of in Kyle Hamilton's role a little bit more so. So, um, you need Marlon Humphrey on the outside. Having Hamilton back in that role is awesome. Hopefully it's not too soon. Hopefully that injury is behind him and wasn't, you know, it sounds like it's nothing structural in any way, shape, or form unless they miss something. So you you knock on wood there. And, I mean, they destroyed the Panthers at home. They murked the Panthers' offense for four quarters and really got pressure on Trevor Lawrence and just kind of folded there in that fourth quarter. So you're at home, should have some noise, should have Marshall Yonda, getting people a little bit fired up, have Cole Jackson there just covered in Tim Hortons and freaking maple syrup, you know, butt-ass naked with a chicken mask on. So 
time to time to step up. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it just it. Uh, I forget which commentator said it uh, in the World Cup game um, where they, they were getting into that last ten minutes, and it was like, you know, you've got um, Iran just basically sending all their guys forward, and I, I forget who the color guy was, but he was like, if you want it, you want to go through mark your man. Like, it's not that hard. Like you, you want to, like I, like I said earlier, you want to, you know, win your eighth game. You want to like be considered one of the better teams in the AFC, maybe vie for that third or second playoff seed, maybe even first, probably not just get shit done as a defense that is more talented, that is more cohesive, that has more to play for. That is just better at every single level. Is David Ojabo going to dress in this game? I'm going to go with no. I don't think they're going to dress him until someone else, injury-wise, unfortunately, brings that to fruition. Unless it, it, I think if we hit like three more weeks, then eventually they're going to be like, all right, we're taking Christian Welch out or something. Um, so I think injuries will ultimately determine it. Someone will miss a game. It, it, the likelihood of all five outside linebackers not missing one game over the next three weeks is probably very low statistically. So I'd imagine we see him somewhat soon in that sense. And I'm excited for that. And had a little discourse on OA from McDonald today saying that he's doing what they're asking him to do well. And they're depending on him in that edge setter role. They basically liked what JPP has brought. And um, there's been a, a lot of talk on, on OA and hopefully he's able to get that confident boost that he needs in, in some sort of sack or some sort of errant play from a stupid Broncos offense. Yeah, I'm I'm asking him to go and get a sack this week. Exactly there you go. one sack. That's what exactly I'm exactly one sack from Jake Luke. Yeah. For Jake Luke. Yeah, please. Odafe, I know you're a big listener, big fan of the show. You you stole my meme that one time. So let's go ahead and pay it forward here. And let's get a sack against Mr. Unlimited. It is time. It is time to get a sack against Mr. Unlimited. So um, I guess that kind of brings us all the way around town here, all the way around town and time for some score predictions. I'm going to, I'm going to flip it. Usually go first. I think we need a little mojo going. Um, I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue the faith in my predictions. I do think the Ravens cover in this game, eight and a half point favorites. Last time I checked, I think they're in the high thirties. I think it was 38 and a half on the total. I'm going to go with the under, I'm going to go Ravens. 33 Broncos three. Wow. It's quite something. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going there. I mean, we've been saying they're due for a long time at this point. If you can't look yourself in the mirror, when you have these conversations about the exact things that everyone is identifying that are holding you back is like, even at this point, the most rudimentary of football watchers, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Pre-snap. Why does this keep happening again when it wasn't an issue for a little while? If you can't look yourself in the mirror and, and figure that shit out at home with Marshall Yonda going to the Ring of Honor and Cole Jackson in the stands, then um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's a real, it's a yes chef situation. They're just they're they're, they're running around back there. They're printing receipts at a, at a crazy rate. Cousin is screaming, and the, the fucking tomatoes are flying everywhere. They just you know. It's time to find the money in the tomato cans. Yeah, exactly. It's time to slow things down, maybe smoke a little weed, you know, uh, talk things, have a little heart to heart and talk about how, yeah, you know, you're going to mess up, but it's not because it's you. It's just because shit happens. It's not your fault. That's life. It's not That's life. your fault. It's not your fault, but it, it yes, kind of is. is your fault. 
Uh, so figure it out. Um, and yeah, that's that's all it comes down to. Uh, Ravens win this game twenty three to sixteen. Probably. Yeah, I, I just I have no faith in them to cover any anything right now. Like you know, that's close, but they're not going to get that done. But they get a win. I think they'll look a little bit better on offense. Defense maybe gives up a play or two. I think Williams will maybe come back not a moment too soon within the next week or two. That'll help with that. And uh, yeah, like I said last week, I, I'm not expecting anything convincing right now. They really need to. It's it's show me season. They need to go out. They've there got four show. divisional games coming up. Yeah, exactly. In the so next, it's time, it's time in to the following fucking, what six? Yeah, four out of six against their own division. It might be five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Six. So yeah, it's like it's time to buckle up the chin straps here. We got some December AFC North football that we're going to have to play. So you're not going to get a candy ass AFC West team to play again. You got, you got to go and figure this thing out. So yeah, Ravens 23, 17 Broncos. That is my prediction. There we go. Alrighty. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, big weekend coming up. Like we hit on, uh, Cole going to be flying in on Saturday. Uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. Like you said, meeting him face-to-face for the first time. That's going to be great. Have a couple beers, maybe watch some college football. Then we'll obviously get together on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Pickett Brewing Company, which the address is? 1130 South Packer Street. 1130 South Packer Street. You and I already know the area pretty well. Because uh, we tailgate nearby, so that's great. Uh, parking, if anyone like is kind of concerned about that, what I usually do, like ha- like tailgating right around there, is I park on Wicomico Street. If you get there early enough, which before 10 a.m., you should be fine. You can go pretty much all the way to the end of that and like park on the street there, and that's that's okay. There's pay for parking options all over the place too, which uh, can get a little overpriced, but it's whatever. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be a great time. I think I'm very excited for it. First time we've done anything like this in almost four years. It is. It's our first live stream our first meet the fans event all that good stuff so fired up we've met a couple dozen probably three four dozen listeners out and about orioles games ravens games tailgating all that good kind of stuff over the last couple years but i want to meet a bunch of you guys fired up and hopefully we're starting the first of many here as uh like you said we're, we're going towards that half decade mark so we are having our first live stream event and hopefully this is greg roman's first time getting the ravens to the line of scrimmage quickly Mm, exactly can't wait for that i mean that would be just uh what a thrill for all of us uh in that stadium if he's able to we're really having a seance that's what this event is yeah truly it's just a fuck it's a a fucking summoning circle we're getting all our horcruxes from canada and you know things of that nature and uh really need to exercise some demons here so meet up is going to be a ton of fun really looking forward to uh chopping it up with all you guys that do show up i think uh a certain relative of the general manager might be in attendance. Um, so yeah, you got that to look forward to. I mean, you talk about celebrities. We don't even, we don't, we're not even in this person's stratosphere. So you got that going for you. Kevin Ostriker. I mean, talk about another just absolute celebrity. That guy is just fucking, we, we love him. Uh, Cousin of Oz from American Pie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, Bobby obviously is going to be there. Everyone loves Bobby. And uh, Coley boy, yeah, it's just gonna be a just gonna be a good time. Have a couple brews, talk some ball, you know, guys being dudes. It's just gonna be great, and women being women too. Like I said, women, there will be at least one. <laughs> probably, actually, no, there will be two women there that that we know of. So that's gonna be that's gonna be huge for us. There will uh, be but, at least a handful of women. Yeah, franchise, franchise. Okay, good. Yeah, so we got that going for us. That's just massive. So. 
Looking forward to it uh, once again, as I really am just doing a stellar job landing the plane here. You can follow us on social media in the meantime at Podcast Beatdown on Twitter at Jake Luke is my handle at Ravens for Dummies. That is the number four is how you find gentle spin over there. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you hopefully in person on Sunday, and if not, Sunday evening with a recap of the Ravens beating the Denver Broncos. See ya. Arrivederci. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Get, get, get that! Baltimore! What are they getting? Everything out of me. They gonna get a Super Bowl out of me. Leave that. Leave that.